So hello and welcome to another video in my series of interviews with experts. I'm Frederick Dunn and today my guest is Eugene Makovic. Mr. Makovic is the editor of the American Bee Journal. This publication has been an excellent source of information about beekeeping since 1861. I invite you to sit back and enjoy learning a little bit about the people behind this well-known periodical. Here's Eugene. So I'm, I'm Eugene Makovic. I um, am editor of American Bee Journal for the last four years. I am a 20, I'm a 27 year beekeeper, third generation. I live in Foley, Missouri or outside Foley, Missouri, which is a little town of 161, about an hour Northwest of St. Louis. And um, I'm uh, happy to happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, well, I'm glad to have you too, Eugene, and thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with me. And uh, for those who are watching, this is also going to be a podcast on Podbean under the way to be. And there'll be links down in the video description for more information about the American Bee Journal. So what uh, I want to know, first of all, since you mentioned your beekeeping, so rather than talk about the Bee Journal right away and your position there, let's talk a little bit about how you got started with bees and uh, what your experience was like. Okay. Um, well, I actually grew up with bees. Um, oddly enough, I, I, I had bee, we had bees in the yard. I grew up on a, a dairy farm in central Wisconsin. My dad always had four, five, six beehives out in the yard. I never really uh, paid that much attention. I, I thought they were kind of kind of cool. I mean, my, my, it was it was something my dad kind of did on his own. He didn't. Uh, well, we had, he had 10 kids and was so busy just trying to keep food in all our mouths. I think uh, beekeeping was kind of kind of his thing he did, kind of his quiet time. He did that on his own. He'd be happy to talk about it if you asked him, but mm. I never really asked him that much. And it, it wasn't until, until later on after I'd been down in Missouri um, for a while, he, um, he got out of beekeeping. He was getting up in years had some some poor health um had had a kidney transplant and then the mites finally came along and and drove him out and and prior to that whenever i would drive up to wisconsin i'd bring some honey back you know i'd i'd, I'd save you know anything from mason jars to peanut butter containers or whatever and i'd go up and and he would have he would have a couple of cans of the, those 10 gallon milk cans the old metal milk cans that he would put honey in mm -hmm. and they would be all crystallized and I'd take an ice cream scoop, you know, and take out some honey and thanks, you know, and ended up taking them back home. Well, when he got out of it, wasn't the same going to, to the grocery store and buying honey. So I called my dad and I started asking him questions and found out that his dad had been a beekeeper too, which I never know. I mean, his, his, my grandparents had come over from Slovenia around the turn of the last century and, He'd been a beekeeper over there, and my dad had picked this up. Um, my his dad had got out, gotten out of it for ill health as he was getting up in years, and the bee the bees were the bee hives were just sitting there. And when dad took over the farm in uh, forty one, when his old next older brother went off to fight in the war, he uh, got the beehives too, and put some bees back in him and he was a beekeeper the rest of his life and up until the last few years. But the neat thing about it was I was number eight of 10 kids. 
never really had a relationship with my dad to, to any degree until till I started expressing an interest in, in bees. And I was the first one to do so. And it really brought us together, um, mm. established that relationship the last few years of his life, which was really a cool thing. Mm. So I've been doing this for 27 years now, just always been a hobbyist. I bounce around that dozen hive or so range. And uh, I, I uh, took a took a class, a, a workshop, you know, I, I took a workshop in, at the Jefferson County Beekeepers, which you you know where that is, about an hour south or something of St. Louis, um, and joined the Eastern Missouri Beekeepers at the time, and and I've been doing this, doing this ever since. Hmm. So the, the question I have, well, first of all, do you have any of those jugs still, those big milk jugs? No, no, I, I, Every now and then I run across one at a thrift yeah. shop or something. They're usually all rusty and, and everything. Yeah. But when you go to Vermont, everybody's got one on their porch as a planter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that would have been really heavy, full of honey. Think about it. Yeah. That. And you know what? He yeah. had them up at the top of this, up at the top on the, the second floor upstairs. He'd have lugged them up to the top of the stairs. I can't imagine why, why he did that. He just thought that was a good spot for him, I guess. But. I wouldn't want to do that. Now, what kind of equipment did he have left over that you found useful when you took up beekeeping? Um, he had an old, um, an old galvanized four-frame hand crank extractor from. It was an old date hand extractor from the '40s, which is I, I picked that up and um, I actually used that for several years. I, I kept. Um, kept um having to to solder it and get some food grade solder and solder leaks in the bottom and then when I went to try and um put I went to do a food grade epoxy on the inside I was trying to get the the spigot off, off on the out on the bottom and it was so rusted I actually broke it out the side and said oh I gotta go because time to graduate to a stainless steel a newer a newer date yeah. and and I've seen those old galvanized steel um, extractors, and yeah, you're right. They they get a lot of oxidation on them and everything else too, so they're a yeah. high maintenance setup. But other but, than uh, that, it was just a few, you know, a few high bodies and things like that to to get me started. Yeah, and you said that mites drove him out. Like, uh, what did you try? What happened? I just don't. At that point, he wasn't really trying anything. I don't think that okay. he, you know. He, He'd have for for the last several years. He had the hives out there, and they'd die in the winter. And swarms would move into a couple of them in the spring. And mm -hmm. he had a, a, an Amish beekeeper down the road. I think that's where they were primarily coming from. And then they would last the season, and then they die out again. And he just basically just that ah, I'm just going to put them put these things out in the shed somewhere and be done with it. So was your primary incentive for keeping bees yourself? Was it the honey or uh, some of the product they were producing? What did you want? Um, yeah, I was. I guess it was the honey primarily. And then once I got into it and started learning more about it, it was just this whole addiction thing. You know mm -hmm. how it is. I, mm -hmm. I, it just became. It just took over my life. And of course, I had a I had a real job. I had I was in the printing industry and mm -hmm. and um, did that on the side and. You, know, you can only do so much on the side and, and keep up with it, but mm -hmm. I've always just always had. I, I think I had as many as nineteen or twenty for a couple of years when I was in Kirkwood, but um, didn't really have time to keep up with them, and I just kind of dropped back to this 
I got 10 right now. So when you say it becomes an addiction, what about the bees was addictive? Oh, just just the uh, the constant learning experience is, is the, the neatest thing about it. It's like it's like every day you're going to college and only you don't have exams, you know, unless you count that overwintering thing. <laughs> but um, it's just there's always something new to learn. And mm-hmm. for everything that you learn, what is that they say? You open a door and three more doors open. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's something that's that's never ending, and it's and it's just so fascinating. And, you know, the more uh, you learn, the more you want to know. Yeah, and so. like a lot of beekeepers, don't make the mistake of asking me about my bees because you'll have trouble getting away from me after that. Yeah, yeah. Was there somebody working with you on your bees, or was it a solitary thing? There was not. I I jumped into it, and um, my my wife at the time wasn't thrilled with the idea, and she was she wasn't interested in it. Um, so it was it was just it was just me, and I joined the local club, but they didn't really have a, a um, organized mentoring program of any sort, which most clubs really don't. Um, this is something we've really been working on and have some success with the last several years at, at the club I'm in now, Three Rivers in, in, in uh, St. Peter's, Missouri. But that's that's the exception. It's very difficult to to do that. And and um, but so so it was it was kind of like you go to the meetings, you ask one of the old timers what happened, why you have the problem that you're having and, and that sort of thing. And you kind of. You kind of learn as you go. So would you say that was your source? What other source of information did you have when you wanted to learn? Oh, more? well, I, I I subscribed to both of the magazines. I joined that that local club. I also joined the state organization. You know, when, when I first joined this club, their, um, their membership form had a, a series of checkboxes. They had your, your local club membership, your state membership, your – you could – check a box to subscribe to American Bee Journal, um, one for bee culture. There was this other one called the Speedy Bee. I don't know if you were around when that thing was around for a few years. It was, it was kind of a, it was called the Speedy Bee. It was more of a little, it was on newsprint material. It was hmm. like a little folded thing with 12 pages or something, like a miniature newspaper thing that came out. I think it was quarterly, but that didn't last all that long after I, after I, I don't know when it started, but it was wasn't there much longer after I was around. But um, you had all these check boxes, and you you'd write the check to the local club, and then they would mail payment to these various places. And mm-hmm. so I subscribed. Uh, it was funny because I, I was asking around it for people to to asking you know what what's the difference between these 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 two main magazines and which one's better and you know i didn't really get a clear consensus on which one was better but the difference people seemed to think that abj was geared toward you know was more scientific mm-hmm. more in-depth geared toward the commercial beekeepers where mm-hmm. bee culture was for beginners and hobbyists and, mm-hmm. and there was something to that they've mm-hmm. come closer together over the years but i decided you know what i'll I'll subscribe to one of these the first year. Next year, I'll try the other ones, the other one, and then I'll choose. I've gotten them both ever since. Because you yeah. know, I tell people all the time, they're they're both good magazines. Yeah, I subscribe to both as well. And uh, it's interesting you have this background in printing because another one of your 
um, from the editor segments uh, involved the cost of using a specific font. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys were kind of having to make a decision about that with something <clears throat> beekeepers aren't going to think about what it takes to run a magazine and the idea that fonts may cost money or are licensed and things like that. Do you remember yeah. that particular? Uh, yeah, this this was just it was just kind of a I just got kind of kick out of the, the whole idea that Adobe, which which, you know, we, we laid the we we lay the, the the magazine out in InDesign, which is part of the Adobe Creative okay. Suite, along with Illustrator yeah. and Photoshop and this and that. And well, they came along and said they started popping up a thing where you jump into InDesign. We used a, a we are the font that we use. It popped up and said this font will no longer be supported after January first, two thousand and twenty three. It was pal. Palatino, which is a you know fairly common font. It's like, how can a font not be supported? I don't know. You know, so I just yeah. kind of made a joke about what you know what that means because I can't imagine what, you know what it is about a font that would not be supported. I mean, it's type. You know, it's I, I don't know. But um, as it happened, we ended up there. There were more. There's more than one version of a Palatino, and we found one another one that's basically the same thing. Yeah. You know, very little difference between the two and we just we just went to that so you're going along and you're in the industry and somehow the american bee journal editor position opens up and you apply for it how does that come about well i'll tell you what i i i mentioned i, I joined the local and the state organizations and and got got a little bit involved in the local one helping out with this and that and then the uh the missouri state beekeepers newsletter came out and that was kind of a it was a once in a while affair i mean it was it was it was not a they came out and they said we need a newsletter editor the guy that we had had to leave and i think it was that the president's wife was was taking it over for the short term and we need somebody and i said you know what i got uh i, I got photography and and writing experience and I'm in the printing industry, getting into the graphics end of it. This will be a good way to uh, improve my own skills and help the organization. So I, I jumped in to this thing and and took it over and and within pretty short order turned turned it into something. I mean, the, the bar was pretty low. <laughs> I turned it from I, I turned it around from something that looked like a beekeeper did and into something a little bit more professional and and. Um, and they were very appreciative. They gave me beekeeper of the year and I got stuck with the job for 11 years. And the, 11 about the last years. three, I was trying to get out of it. But the thing was, yeah. I, I doing this job, I, I, I was kind of forced to go to these twice annual um, conferences that the state had where we would bring in you know, big name speakers from all over the country. And, and I was forced to attend those and take copious notes and report back to our membership. So I learned a ton about, about beekeeping and, and bees. And, and I got to meet these speakers and, and um, I would, I would um, communicate with them. I would always, you know, I'd send them an email and get their bio information for the newsletter. And then I put them on my, my email list, because I, I I I included an option for um, 
you, know, you could easily get the mailed copy or, or, or a PDF and mm -hmm. in color. And um, so I got, you know, I get, had communicated with a few of these speakers, some of whom now write for me. And, mm -hmm. and I also, um, I, since I put the thing on a regular schedule and, and made it a little bit more presentable, we were able to sell advertising for it and, and make it pay for itself. Well, among those advertisers were Bee Culture Magazine and ABJ slash Date Ant. And, and so I had communication with the two of those editors too. And, and they would, they would also pick up stories from me now and then they'd contact me and say, Hey, I like this story you had in, in your newsletter. Do you mind if I print it in the magazine? I actually had more of those in, in B culture than I did in ABJ, but hmm. apparently they got lower standards over there at B culture. Yeah. But, um, but that, but that was a neat thing, you know? And then another thing about going to those conferences was I got to know a lot of the regular vendors who were there, including the Danan family. So, mm -hmm. so those contacts ended up meaning something later on. And, and I always kind of thought, you know, I was, I was in, enjoying what I was doing and I was kind of thought, you know, both of these editors are getting up a little bit in years and they're going to be retiring one of these years. And when that happens, one of those jobs comes open, I'm going to send in an application, assuming they advertise it and, and see what happens. Well, the ABJ job came up and I missed it. They ran an ad in the journal and, and I didn't see it. And I emailed Joe Graham, the, the old editor, one day about something and I got kind of an out of office type response saying I'm retired see Kirsten Trainer, and I was like dang it how did that happen so yeah. um about a year later I um was at one of these Missouri conferences which I was no longer involved in the newsletter at that time for for the last year or two before that and uh, ran into Gabe Dayant who was a guy that I'd run into a bunch of times at these things and and uh, I was chatting. I had to. I I was I was telling people that my my day dance smoker got me the ABJ job because I had backed over my old day dance smoker that I had for about fifteen years, backed over it in my driveway, and I had to run out and buy one of these cheap farm store ones, and I hated it. And about a month later, this conference came up, and so I immediately I went there. I immediately went back to the vendor area found the data and boost and bought a new smoker and struck up a conversation with Gabe. And I, we, I asked him how the newsletter or how the, the magazine editor was going and all that kind of thing. And, and we had a little chat and, and I, I started to walk away and I turned around and I said, you know what? I wish I'd known that job was coming open. I always kind of thought I'd put in for it. And he looked at me and he said, I wish I'd known you were interested. We actually, your name came up and, we didn't think you were interested, I guess, because I hadn't applied for it. Well, about two weeks later, Kirsten uh, stepped down. She put in her resignation and Gabe gave me a call and said, why don't you come see us? And mm -hmm. they hired me. So it was, a, it was just the strangest thing, the way, the way it worked out. But um, all of that is a, a very long That's way it. of telling you how yeah. everything kind of works together sometimes yeah. to... to Make I actually happen. love the whole list of happenstance that brought you there, you know, breaking your your smoker, running over it and going mm -hmm. to get another one and running into the right people at the right time. Going to these conventions and you mentioned that you kind of establish relationships mm -hmm. with people 
that later became contributors for you. Um, who was a real standout? Somebody that you just kind of met for the first time and you just overly impressed by. I realize that this kind of creates others that were not the standout, but just one good story of somebody ran into at one of these uh, conferences. The, the, the best, really the, the biggest standout just for, just in terms of, of proximity is, is Randy Oliver, because mm -hmm. Randy, when Randy came and spoke, he needed a ride from the airport. And somebody put out an email and said, somebody needs to pick up Randy at the St. Louis airport, drive him out to the conference, which was in Lake St. Louis that year. And, um, about three hour drive from St. Louis. And, and so uh, my wife and I were going out there. And, and uh, so I said, yeah, I left work and, and went and picked him up and um, brought him back and picked up my wife and drove him out. So, so we had three hours of car time with him both mm -hmm. ways at the, the, on the way out and a couple of days coming back. So we had a lot of, a lot of uh, talk time and, and what, what, the funny thing about that one was too is I picked up Randy. He came walking out the door, and I was there in the pickup area. He came walking out with this little bitty laptop bag, and I said, "Okay, so we're going to go pick up your bag." He said, "No, this is it." <laughs> so really, he said, "Yeah, I travel light." <laughs> so he must have had a t-shirt and pair of underwear in there or something. I don't know with his laptop. Yeah. But he said, yeah, I travel light. So, well, I think his uniform, kind of his uniform is pretty much a t-shirt and shorts, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. sandals. <laughs> yeah. No matter where he goes. Well, that's what a great opportunity to have. Did you talk the whole time or was there, I mean, there must've been some silence, but. If you ever, yeah. you ever chatted with, with Randy, he talked yeah. a lot more than we did. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Got a lot very, to say. Yeah. Yeah. What a great opportunity. I love that story. So then um, talk about what it was like uh, getting going as the editor of the American Bee Journal. What was your first order of business when you got there? Um, well, it was the I, I was hired first part of November and uh, I just I just uh, hit four years and came in. Um, Dr. Trainer had had left rather suddenly i mean I, and 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 so joe graham was who lived in the area came out of retirement to um to uh, do the january issue january 19 issue mm -hmm. so i called uh well so so they asked me hey come in start the week after i put in two weeks notice at the, the printing company where i was working and um started the the, the week after thanksgiving and started by spending a week with Joe um, working on finishing up this January issue. And so Joe called me about a week prior to that and said, hey, welcome aboard and all this. And and we were chatting and he said, by the way, um, when I decided to step down, you were the first person I thought of, but I thought you weren't interested. <laughs> it's like, it's not, yeah, I was like, would it, would it have? killed someone to give me a call or something but but yeah. anyway i spent a week with him um work basically he was doing his job and and telling me what his process was and and the last thing was um he put a um he the, the day before this was going to go to the printer um susan who does the layout printed out the whole thing for for joe to look at and 
and um, I flipped open the top of it, and it said editor Eugene Makovec, and I said, "Whoa, wait a wait a minute, what's what's up with this?" And Joe said, "Well, we thought it'd be kind of weird to go back to me as for one month, and and then go to you." So I told Susan. Okay, why don't you print out another copy of this? I want to see what I'm signing off on. And so I went through and you know had a, took it back to the hotel room and and uh, made a few little last minute edits of my own, but uh, nothing nothing consequential. But um, then uh, then the next uh, you know I just kind of kind of jumped in after that and started mm -hmm. uh, talking to talking to writers and I was very fortunate to have um, a very Good stable of columnists and and other regular writers, some of whom I'd met before, but majority of whom really didn't know who the heck I was. I mean, I outside of Missouri, Illinois, Kansas, not a lot of people were familiar with me. They'd maybe mm -hmm. seen my name a couple times because I had an article here and there, but um, mm -hmm. I I had a little bit of of. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it trepidation, but um, a little concern about how I'd be accepted as 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 a no an, as an unknown quantity. But it went really well. I've I've uh, I've established really good relationships with with these writers over the years, and and uh, we you know we banter back and forth. And I'm I'm a fairly hands on editor. I mean, I I you send me something to uh to go in the magazine and i accept it i will i'm gonna i'm gonna make my edits and i'm gonna send it back to you and say these are my edits and and give you the opportunity to fight about it if you want to and most wow. for the most case it's minor things you know but um i like i said i got a pretty good relationship with with people most people you know i've got i've got the people that say yeah whatever and you got the people that say oh thanks for catching that there's a couple people who are as nitpicky as I am. They come in and they say, you know, hey, I put that comma there for a reason or or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we work it out. It's this I don't ever get into fights with anybody, but yeah. But uh it's a it's a good process. And and I always before we go to press, when we lay that art that article out, I, I send them that to look at as well. And mm -hmm. I just think Having been on the other side of this, I, I know that writers don't like surprises and mm -hmm. there's nothing like um, sending somebody an article and having it come back and the first paragraphs changed around where it says something not quite what you meant or, you know, whatever, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. And I, I've never had that problem with either of, of the B magazines, but I've had that issue earlier, you know, with, with the other occasional things I've written and I just like to avoid that that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and and people tend to appreciate that. Yeah. Now, in our minds, maybe we're thinking you you're walking into an office, and you know, in back in the day, you know, there were typewriters everywhere, and everybody had a cubicle or a small office, and the editor walked in and visited everybody to see how they were making progress. But today, I mean, I just imagine that most people are remotely. Uh, working and submitting their stuff. So what kind of staff is there? When you say I go to the office, what, what kind of staff are we talking about? What's the environment like? Well, to begin with, I'm sitting in my office now. I, I'm <laughs> I'm looking looking out into my backyard. I yeah. I have a home office. I spend a couple of days a month in, at, at Data 
Dayton is based they're 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 in Hamilton, Illinois. They're about 100 they're 125 miles from my door. So I drive up there through farmland. It's a beautiful drive. I got no traffic. I do this um I I, I make a day trip twice a month and mm-hmm. and that's great. And and that was one of the one of the real selling points for it too. I mean not not that I would have to be not like you needed a hard sell for me to take this job, but that was a, a, a pretty cool thing when we when we first when we talked when they they called me about it they said now we we wouldn't need you to move to Hamilton It'd be great if you did but we'd just like to see you on a on a regular basis so that's what we settled on was a couple of days a month and it varies but that's for the most part I'm 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 up there the last day before we go to print and then somewhere during the middle of the month I'm up there so I'm basically doing everything via via online via Dropbox and email. Yeah. Okay. Like trade files back and forth and scan, scan edits and, and things like that. Yeah. Ooh, and Dropbox well. is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. Now when so. when I uh when I when I met Joe Graham a few years ago, the first time I met him in person, I I asked him, I said, You've been here quite a while, haven't you? He said, Yeah, you know what? I, I got out of I graduated from journalism school. I answered an ad in the paper. I've been here ever since. Didn't know the first thing about bees or beekeeping at the time, yeah. which just floored me. But uh, Joe, he took over in 74 and just really modernized the magazine, made it a whole lot more professional. And uh, let me turn on a light here. It's starting to get dark in this. Yeah. My outside light's going away. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, he really, he really modernized the magazine, made it very professional and and it's and that's and that really is the the his professionalism and just the quality of materials and everything is the reason mm-hmm. one of the reasons that this has been my favorite magazine for a few years. Like I say, I I I get both of them. I read them both cover to cover, mm-hmm. and they're they're good magazines. But I really like the job that he did with mm-hmm. it. But when he took it over, it was still a black and white magazine. The cover was two colors. And then it was, um, I was giving a talk on this last week. Um, nine, it was 1991 that they finally went to a four color, you know, a full, full color, what we call four color, four color process on the cover only. And then in 2001, I believe it was, was when they went full color throughout. And, and B Culture did the same year that they finally got to where it was, the expense came down enough that that um, magazines of our size could afford to do that. Mm-hmm. But they were all, when he took over, it was still, the layout was still, you know, it was paste up. You know, you'd print out, and I, I did this back in college, you'd, you'd, you'd print out a, a strip of, of uh, a column, a, mm-hmm. a typesetter, and you'd, and you'd paste it up on a board. You'd have, you'd, you'd run it through this, this wax machine and it would wax the back and you'd paste it paste that column down and you could pick it up and move it if you wanted to move things around and you mm-hmm. did that with ads and all these kind of things and and you took this whole stack of boards to the printer and now yeah now you do it everything through software and and emails and you is that where they did they have something like stripping or strippers like they would strip the stuff off yeah of- that was um that was more for like the plates plates okay. and negatives is where okay. that term came in 
That's but, interesting. Um, yeah. That is all. Where is it physically printed? As of now, it's it's uh, in one of the it's it's a, in a Madison suburb up in Wisconsin where the actual plant is that prints it. So, do they print a proof, and you have to go and look everything over, or do they, they just go with it? We proof it online, so we we send them a high res PDF, yeah. and then they put it into their proofing system where it shows all the the crops and the corners and everything and mm -hmm. we've we've flipped through that and make sure nothing got out of whack in the in the transition and and then we we approve that proof excuse me we approve that proof online and and mm -hmm. and then they they print it and they do what's called co-mailing co where it goes to various shipping points throughout the country and and mails so everybody in every part of the country is it's designed so most of us will get that in the mail up around the same time whether you live in washington state or tennessee yeah so as far as so in 1991 they went to that color four color process you said or whatever um, the, as, yeah the cover as far as the the paper it's printed on and like the cover and things like that has that changed since then at all? The weight of the paper or the kind of stock? Oh yeah, it's it's a big difference from when from when he started. Yeah, and and when I um, and when I uh, when I came in, I mean he he really upped the the quality of the paper, the materials, and everything. I mean it was almost back in the seventies that material was 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 not much of higher grade than than like newsprint. Like, you know, it's, it was whiter, but it was, it was thinner and, and uncoated stock because everything was, was just in black and white. And uh, now, of course, it's more important to have that, have some kind of coating on that material. So those pictures look nice. Mm -hmm. And I like that he, he did the, um, if you look at the, the cover, you see that high gloss, that's called a UV gloss. It's a, it's a coating that is um, applied after the fact. Um, UV inks are, there, it's a liquid that go. It's a clear liquid that goes down, and it's cured under ultraviolet light, and it gives it that hard surface. And there are different huh. different types of UV coating, and and you can do that. The the actual inks can be done UV too. These are not, yeah. but um, that coating is made for for two reasons. One, it gives that scuff resistance, but it also just makes that that high gloss just makes that image pop on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question is the people, how do you choose the people that are going to do features, the ones that show up every month? How do you decide who who are those contributors and how did you pick them? We have the, the regular contributors, most of whom were there. You know, those people on the left hand, you know, those columnists were mm -hmm. most of them were, were around when I started. And then a few of the um the regular contributors like like a Peter Boris or Mia McNeil, some of those people have been around off and on over the years. Peter has pretty much gone to every month since since I came in. We mm -hmm. have a good good working relationship, and he really likes likes writing for us, and and that's great because I love his writing. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then we've got the the people that just just send me something. I mean, we've people will send me something out of the blue, and if I like it, I will I will print it and and. And if I don't, I won't, you know, and, and really the one of the one of the toughest things about my job is 
is saying no to people. You know, people send me an article, they've done a lot of, put a lot of work into it and I have to go back to them and say, it's just not, you know, I don't come out and say, hey, sorry, it's just not up to our standards. I'll just, you know, tell them it's not, doesn't, it's not what we're interested in or whatever, but, um, um, and then, and then there are people that I, I do occasionally go out to someone and say, hey, I would really like to, to see an article about this. Sometimes it's somebody I've used, sometimes it's somebody out of the blue, like maybe somebody that I've seen at a conference or, or um, I see some work that they did and I'll approach them and ask them to, to write about something. And, mm-hmm. and there's always a, there's always a risk there if it's something that you have, if it's someone that you haven't seen in print, mm-hmm. you know, whether, you know, because yeah. you're under a little bit more pressure to accept that, even if it requires a lot of work. And, and, you know, yeah. there are, there are cases where people send me things that are just not well-written mm-hmm. and there are times when I will go ahead and spend a lot of time helping them you know, redo it and whatever. And, and I will do that either because it's a subject that I really want in the magazine or it's, or it's a person that I really is, it's good for the magazine to have that reputation in the magazine that it's worth my, worth my while to spend, you know, sometimes as as much time on my end as they did on their end to make, to make that article workable. And try to keep the facts intact, but in some way that make too, it more, yeah. more accurate. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I do what get... Do you do I, when, when you, yeah, when you get an article that um, could be factually so off base, what do you... What's your approach to that? If if it's just... The, the, the article itself is just that much out there, then, yeah. then, it's, then it's easier to just say, no, it's, you know... I'm not not going to run this, and and a lot of times, you know, people will come back and say, "Well, why?" You know, and and I'll you know yeah. I'll mention, "Hey, this is not the case," and and you do occasionally run into the the situation where people will argue back and say, "Well, you know, you're just not open to new ideas or whatever," and and you know that be get that gets uncomfortable, but then mm-hmm. you know that's 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 part of my uh, part of my job, and that's the yeah. reason. That's the yeah. reason I don't do it for free, you know, because yeah. no. I do I have mean, to work sometimes. That's one of the unfortunate, actually, parts of being the editor, but you have to represent a magazine and preserve it. So, yeah, um, that's very. But I'm also fortunate enough that I that I know I've got I've got a, enough people that I know who are competent and know a lot more than I do that I can approach somebody and say, Hey, somebody sent me this, you know, read this paragraph and tell me if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it does. Sometimes I say, yes, yeah, that, that is actually true that the bees do this in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, and that's another one of the great things about my job. I mean, every, every month I have a bunch of really smart people send me articles about bees and, and I have to read them. And, mm-hmm. and if I've, if I'm publishing them, I have to read them two or three times. And, mm-hmm. and I also have to read the competition. So uh, I really have learned so much in, you know, in doing this job. I mean, I feel like, I feel like my 27 years now of beekeeping gave me a, a decent base of knowledge, but um, um, there's a lot that I don't know and that other people know and, and, 
I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to go ask somebody if I if I'm unsure about something. I would think that would be one of the real exciting parts of being the editor for the ABJ is that uh, often you'll be the first maybe to read some information that that is extremely valuable and you're on the leading edge of getting that input. So can yeah. you give me an example of an article that was submitted or written that was just overwhelmingly supported by your readership that you got a really great response on in the four years that you've been there? I don't know. There, there have been a, a few of them. I, I always, the, the first person that comes to mind is Randy Oliver because he's got such a following, and sure. and I'm, I always hear people at conferences. That seems to be the most person that comes up most often. Say, oh yeah, well I read first thing I read is Randy Oliver. He's got this, you know, this his his research on whatever, whether it's the oxalic acid, the extended release thing he's doing now and and that and but um i don't know that i can't really pinpoint anything offhand that that stands off above all the rest but i do get um i do i love it when i get get people that come that send me emails and and you know we we have a letters to the editor section yeah but most of the uh most of the the, the emails that people send me in many cases, I would like to put them in as a letter to the editor, but they now this is just for, for personal, I, you know, personal communication. I just wanted to say how much I love, you know, like Mia, Mia McNeil's article about about the beekeepers over in Ukraine a couple months ago that that um, struck a chord with with mm -hmm. some people. I got a few responses about that, and mm -hmm. and uh, it seems like Rusty Burley who always gets responses from people. She's just got a real. She's just a very good writer and she strikes a chord with people. And she's been doing that a long time. She has her own website as well that's pretty yeah. effective too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right. Randy Oliver, everybody follows his research because it's actionable. Everything, the things he's talking about are things people are waiting to implement in their backyard <laughs> beekeeping or even in their commercial operations. Often they jump the gun and whatever he's researching, they go ahead and act on that yeah. before it's finalized. And uh, yeah. But, yeah, the idea of the science behind it just pushes that all. So how many um, subscribers are there right now? We've got around 15,000. I think that's, well, it's between 14 and 15. About um, 1,500 of those are digital subscribers. Okay. Um, and the rest are, are print subscribers. Yeah. So now I for, I personally like to have the physical uh, magazine. So I hope yeah, that yeah, never goes cool. away, to be honest. So Because I like just have it in hand and be by the fireplace or whatever. I don't want to look at another illuminated screen. Yeah. But, so is that like, are they, do they come out like as a Kindle pub? Is, so when you say it's um, PDF, how do they look at it? It's a, um, it's a the um, the host of it is, is an outfit called Blue Toad. And they, you get a link and you click on there and, and you can just, there's arrows you can click to page, you know, to, to turn the pages on it. Yeah. You can zoom in if you want. You can download the whole thing as a PDF if you want, mm -hmm. and and then just have it. But um, I'm with you. I I I can certainly read it like that, but I would rather have. Yeah. I would rather have that physical thing. You know, I look at a screen all day as it is. If I want to read something, I prefer to read it in hard copy if if possible. 
And you mentioned that people can download and things like that. What about copyright? Like if somebody wants to cycle it back to their website or if people want to use components of the digital version in a YouTube or in some other, you know, in some presentation that they're giving, is that permitted? Do they have to contact you? How does that work? The, um, uh, the, the copyright thing, um, it, it states that we, we have 60 days digital rights so we we talk about this with authors all the time people say hey well, i would like to post this to my website or whatever but or to my group or, or something we have 60-day digital rights meaning you can't reproduce it you can't spread it far and wide until you know if it's the november issue till january 1st um if you're We'll have an author will say, hey, I want to, I want to, I'm so excited that you published my article. Do you mind if I share it to my local club? I say, well, the local club is fine. Don't put it on Facebook and mm -hmm. where it can be shared far and wide. Mm -hmm. Just wait, hold off 60 days before you do that. But otherwise, if you, when you do that, we would, we just need you to, to, to credit us for it, you know, and, and if somebody else asks to use something, they have to credit the author, they have to credit the, the magazine. Okay. That's right, because there is a YouTube channel, by the way, where they read articles from the American Bee Journal going back to the 1800s, 1900s. Mm, wow, that's, that's neat. He has like 10 subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found, because I did a lot of looking around, I, I checked on the number one gripes, the list of complaints about the American Bee Journal and uh, try to find out what people are happy about, what they questioned, why they choose one over the other. But the consensus is really that people want them both. So, so where was I on that list of complaints, the number one? List you of personally? <laughs> or, not you personally. It's just that it's about content. But I can tell you what one of the frequently uh, posted complaints is, what is going on with the American Bee Journal's page numbering system? Because like right here, I'm looking at page 1199. So people don't seem to understand um, why it's not just, you know, one through 90 or however many pages are in the magazine. What What is the answer to that? So it's it's a volume. It's uh, January through December. So you'll get, okay. um, you get into December and we're talking page 1300 and something or whatever. It, it, it usually ends up as 1400, give or, you know, give or take, you know, somewhere between like, 1350 and 1400 pages we average about 116 pages an issue and it's no, so the months january months. the january issue that's about to come out will start with page one yep oh yep. people are gonna think i'm so smart when i know that coming out <laughs> so it's almost like a julian calendar only it's uh pages in the book pages in the volume yeah and i think this used to be a more common thing and I think the reason for it is um, this, we're on volume, we're starting volume 163 now. And it used to be a volume was actually bound at the end of the year into a volume. So mm -hmm. we go, you go, uh, I go up to Data Ant, I look in the Data Ant library, we've got all these old volumes there and, and it's an actual book. It's all bound together. Yeah. You flip through this book. Yeah, I used to see that so, with National Geographic that they would have those annual volumes yeah so this is so that happened could you buy a an annual volume 
printed? I don't know. I'm guessing not. I don't okay. think we have volumes per se for sale. Okay. Um, we've got magazines, I and mean, we you can go buy back issues. I don't know if they go all the way back, but mm. they're they're ex. You know, they we always print a bunch extra because people do come back and say, "Hey, I I want to." I looked up an article from 1968, and I buy that that volume and and we do sell them so if it's volume the older they are the more expensive they are because they get more rare that time. yeah so volume 163 is that 163 years yes That's... yeah we we started in 19 or 1861 wow now the the profile picture that you sent that i will have used on the thumbnail for this interview are you at their library for that where what's the library yeah. that you're standing in? Yeah, I'm standing in the corner of what is the the, the ABJ library, which, which okay. is my office when I'm up there. So I'm standing there, and in the background you can see some books. There, there's a smoker or something, yeah. and a couple yeah. other old tools on the on the shelf. We've got a row of all around the room. We've got a row of, of smokers that goes all the way around a bunch of different designs of smokers. Is any of that open? Any of that open to the public? Only if we've got some something going on. They'll run tours, not not on a normal basis. I don't think. You so can there's no them. like museum or not like really public access area. Not really. When you, when you walk the day dance, there is a like a very there's a small showroom with a few of the extractors and showing you different kinds of the uh, hives and frames and various things that that they sell but uh there's not like uh it's not a big fancy showroom you can you can go up there and you can you can walk in there and place an order and they'll they'll mm -hmm. show you samples and things like that and so people that are listening or watching right now what's their best way to get a subscription what's going to be the best price for them so if you the best price is is if you belong to a beekeeping organization okay you call you call call the office and they will uh take give them your information and say no by the way i belong to the kentucky state beekeepers association give me the club discount which is 15 percent. so that's 15 percent um, forever every year yeah <laughs> and we already know it's available as a digital and do you, what's the biggest earning source for the publication? Is it advertisers, uh, subscribers? What is it? I I'm, I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm thinking it might be ads, but I, I don't know for sure. The funny funny thing is, you know, I, I have no, I, I'm not in the business end of it. So I don't, have, okay. I don't have a lot to go by here. The funny thing is when, when I started there, I asked the question, I said, so, because this is, a ABJ is, it's published by Data, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm the only full-time American Bee Journal employee. So oh, there, okay. there are three other people that are listed on the masthead, Susan and Diane. Susan does layout, Diane handles subscriptions and a lot of other stuff behind the scenes things and Marta handles the advertising, but all of them work for data and they do other things. 
So they do ABJ work when it needs done and, and otherwise they're doing. So, so I asked the question when I started, if the journal were to be spun off as its own entity, would we be making money? Nobody mm -hmm. could tell me. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they didn't want to tell me. I don't know, but but I think things are so intertwined. There's no, you know, yeah. probably be difficult to uh, to determine. So the data and press, do they publish books as well and things like that? Data and publications. Yeah. Yes, there are a few books in our in our catalog that are published by Datant. Um, boy, the um, um, basic shoot. I'm trying to think of the one that Delaplane wrote. Um, Delaplane, University of Georgia. Yeah. So um, we've got well, for example, the classroom, um, which is a, a collection of classroom articles from Jerry Hayes over the years. That's published by Data. There are there are a few other other um, books that are published by Data that um, that that are in the Data um, catalog. I'm running out of it. Have you physically met everybody that contributes there? Like, have you sat down and had coffee with Rusty? I have not. Rusty lives <laughs> way up in the Northwest. Actually, she just moved to North Dakota or South Dakota a couple months ago. But yeah, but no, I've never run into her. There's anywhere. no like I've met, annual I've met a few gathering or something. Yeah, I've, I've met a, a handful of them. I mean, or a few of them. I've, I've met Peter Boris. I met him at a conference actually where he spoke in Missouri. I've, I've met Mia McNeil up at Apomondia. I met a couple other people. Um, um, Allie McAfee, I've met a couple of times. Um, Megan Milbrass, and it, which is a really great thing, you know, when you, you can actually sit down and, and, mm -hmm. and talk to some of these people. But um yeah, I've given going through all this stuff uh, via via internet, and of course, it was that way years ago too. Only people were sending you hard copies of of things. So um, yeah, there's uh, there's a few people that I've never met. Charles Linder, I've met. I'm just looking through the last the last issue, but um, a lot of them I've never met in person but can mm -hmm. correspond with on a regular basis. And yeah. um, it's just a matter of getting in, uh, both attending the same conferences at the same time. Who would you like to meet that you haven't yet? Um, besides like the Jesus and Albert Einstein yeah. that most people answer. <laughs> yeah, beyond <laughs> beyond the even the <laughs> contributors, if there's somebody in beekeeping, that uh, you or a bee researcher or a scientist um who, who would you like to come across and have a conversation with you know i was i was another one that comes to mind is sammy rams samuel ramsey samuel I, I, was I was privileged to meet him at a, at a conference a couple of years ago and um but um oh and jim jim too i met at a conference last last year where we both where we both stopped spoken and he uh and he um offered to to write do some writing for me so i put him on we've got a beginning beekeeper conference or column that i like to switch off year by year that mm -hmm. you know everybody's got a different 
perspective on things. So I like people to get beginners, especially to get, get different perspectives. So I switched that off every year. Um, Dewey Karen was the previous one. I met him a few times. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so what was it? Oh, who would I like to meet? Boy, I don't know. I, I really would like to meet Rusty Burley. She and I have a really yeah. good good banter back and forth on a regular basis. She's a lot of fun. I heard that she's hard to get a hold of. Because uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, this is what I hear. Anyway, because there's a lot of people I'd like to interview for my what we're doing right now. There are people I want to talk yeah. to. But uh, Jamie, Jamie Ellis is, is fun too. Have you ever met Jamie? Yeah, I've not met him in person now. Yeah, I've not, I've not talked to him in person um, since I took this job that I'd met him at a couple conferences before. Mm -hmm. He's he's a lot of he's funny. He's a good speaker. He's yep. got a good sense of humor. Yep. And he goes to the National Honey Show there overseas and gives presentations there. I know he makes the rounds a lot. In fact, he encouraged a young uh, bee researcher that I recently interviewed, um, Atreo, because uh, they have a bee lab or something down at University of Florida. And so he just took this yeah. kid under his wing and just a great, great ambassador for beekeeping and education and scientific research. All of it. He's just a great yeah. And yeah, so that, tell uh, us. Go ahead. The kid actually spoke to, I, I forget his name now, but he, he spoke. I was at the uh, Iowa conference last month. And he spoke uh, via Zoom, gave a talk about hive beetles to that group. So I'm sure it was the same person you're talking about. Is that about, a Atreya Manasui? Like huh? Atreya Manasui? that sound right? No, it doesn't. He, this, he was a uh, 14 or 15 year old. Yeah, he's a sophomore in high school. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe and he lives in Florida. Him. Yeah, he was doing research on, uh, they were testing out different patties and stuff. Uh, be nutrition and of course small eye beetle okay that, that would have been him that yep. yep yep very interesting got a bright future he's also writing a book right now by the way so yeah. okay so tell us one thing about yourself that you think people don't know that's also interesting that people don't <laughs> know <laughs> boy i don't know um what else do I do? Well, I'm a, I'm a home brewer. Um, I have uh, been brewing brewing beer for the last 10 years or so. Most of them have honey in them somewhere in the ingredients. Um, that's, uh, so that's a lot of fun. So you don't make mead? Most people would think you'd be making mead. I do not. And I never made mead because it took too much honey. Um, for for years now that I'm I'm producing more honey, uh, my house that I that I live in now it's it's I don't have a basement, so mead needs to be um, stored fermented for long periods of time in a cool place, and I don't have I can't just stick it in the back closet like I do like I do beer for a, you know four four weeks or something. So so for those who are wondering, you have closets full of beer. Okay. Um, just one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's interesting. I'm really glad that uh, you took time to share with everyone today and to um, accept my invitation for this interview. I think it's very interesting to get behind the scenes on what editors are doing, what the job is like. And uh, I think you've been very generous with your time. We've been talking for over an hour now. 
So right. any last yeah. thoughts or anything you'd like to say on your way out? No, I will I will just just mention, you know, we talked about subscribing to the magazines there. I just think um but um <laughs> you know, people people need I I think it's important for people to 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 get the the printed word in front of them too and and it's it's more of a lasting a lasting thing and you mentioned I've, I've gotten both of these magazines for over a quarter of a century now and when you think about it if you if you get both abj and b culture we're talking around 60 bucks a year if mm -hmm. you bring one more colony through the winter or produce one more super of honey next summer you're you're way ahead of the game mm -hmm. and the nice thing about these magazines is you can you've got this thing especially if you're getting the hard copy you got it sitting on a shelf. You can go, oh, what what was uh, mm -hmm. Megan saying about with how I split colonies last year? Let me go pull that out because I've got some. I'm confused about this, and walk yourself through it. And and it's just it's just nice to have. And you can find the same thing on 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 the internet too. But there's a lot of there's so much on the internet. I feel like we as magazine editors are forced to kind of pick between separate the wheat from the chaff for you so mm -hmm. there's not quite as much bad stuff you have to sort through before you find that that frederick dunn or or somebody else who's out there that's got that youtube channel that you that's more reliable so mm -hmm. well thanks my plug thank you for saying that my channel is more reliable and but so so i need to backtrack a little bit is American Bee Journal searchable? Are the articles searchable like through the years? Not, we're not good at that. I'll, I'll just okay. tell you right now. We're, and, and this is one area, and well, I, I will say that bee, bee culture is not great at that either. But this is one area where bee culture, the online presence, bee culture is ahead of us. And we're, we're a slow moving organization here. Um, trying to bring us up into the 21st century as a as a as a slow deal, mm -hmm. um, but we do have our our may our yeah you, know, you can search a PDF, but mm -hmm. our our magazines are out there now um, from the time that we've gone digital for I think since like 2010 maybe I got got them to put those magazines out there on our website. You cannot access anything within the past 12 months unless you're a subscriber, a digital subscriber. Okay. But beyond that, you can go back and you can find that 2014 ABJ and look at, you know, if you want to look for, for Randy Allen's article out there and, and, and you can, you can download it a PDF and, then you can search, you know, that as a PDF or a search function in it. We've also yeah. got index in the back of the magazine, and the and mm -hmm. in the back of the December issue, there's a there's an index you can flip through for on subject and find things. Now, if you subscribe to the print version, are you automatically digitally subscribed as well, or are those mm -hmm. separate things? No, those are separate things. Okay. How do they compare price wise? The uh, digital is sixteen dollars. The print, um, the print subscription is thirty-two. If you get that fifteen percent discount, I think it's mm -hmm. I don't know twenty-seven something. I'd have to do the math here, but um, okay. 
All right. I think you've answered all my questions for now. All right. Well, thank I appreciate you. you having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. I had a great time talking with you. So there you have it from the editor of the American Bee Journal. Subscribe to both the American Bee Journal and Bee Culture. There's no such thing as knowing too much about bees and how to keep them. I subscribe to both and personally recommend that you do also. I'm Frederick Dunn, and I want to thank you for watching and listening to another episode of Interviews with Experts. I wish you all the best in beekeeping.